Welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. My name is Alora Chestikoff, and I am from Firebird Summit. My partner in this podcast is Lawrence Henderson from Boss LLC. Every week we meet and discuss coaching topics relative to professional development, personal development, business, and entrepreneurship. Join us and see if there's anything else you'd like to add to the conversation. All righty. Welcome, welcome to this week's episode of Grow or Die. I am Alora Chestikoff with Firebird Summit. Hey, everyone. This is Lawrence Henderson with Boss LLC. I am glad to be back again with you, Alora. Always, my friend. So yes. we have a fun topic that gets nice, gets the hackles up really well. Yeah, I so, love it. Yes. So, you know, I think it's so funny because I think one of the things that makes people want to start their own business is having more control over who you work with, right? Like, uh, I want to pick my clients and just let me say that's such a nice sounding idea, but the practicality is sometimes you still, like you can have, you know, a client that you love, but maybe one member of that team is just really rubbing you the wrong way. And sometimes it can be because, you know, they're a jerk. Sometimes it can be because you guys just have such wildly different like viewpoints in the world, in the universe that you can't find common ground. Other times it could be because you're pretty convinced they're just dumb as a box of rocks. It could be any number of things, right? Like there's so many reasons that coworkers can drive us insane, but you know what? A you can't always throw the baby out with the bathwater. So sometimes you're just going to have to find a way to piece it together. Um, and so that's what I want to talk about today. Like when you have a coworker, colleague, client, you know, to help brother-in-law, whatever the hell it is, right? When you have someone in your life that you just, you got to find a way to live with them and they are driving you nuts. Yeah. What are some of the, so what are some of the ways you deal with that? So first, um, I know many of you always talk about this as a, as a main topic in and of itself, and this should be like a series called Grace. Um, but then there's, there's it, when is it transition? Because, you know, defining of grace is unmerited favor, right? You're doing it without someone uh, actually knowing about it or even uh, being, you know, somebody that earned it. It's unearned respect. But sometimes we just have to understand when we're operating in mercy. Um, and like you said, you are driving me bonkers and it's just mercy at this point that I'm, I'm dealing with you just to get through this project. And I love what you said, particularly about entrepreneurs wanting to um, jump out there and own your own clock and all those other things. Um, and I would tell anybody, um, if you're thinking about it, considering it, there's a really good book called The E-Myth um, that's out there. And it really speaks to kind of people in these categories, you're a really good technician, you're a really good, smart, subject matter expert person, you should always look for analyst roles. You don't want to lead people, you don't want to have the overhead and all the rest of the crazy things, you just may be misaligned. You may That may not be something saying you need to open your own thing, you just may be misaligned. But as it pertains to just dealing with people who really uh, just sometimes aren't getting it, um, you really have to lean in with curiosity, right? And, and we always talk about this as coaches. So we get out of the client's box by being curious. We ask more questions. And then when I say we transition into mercy is because at some point you should be managing expectations along the way. This is whether you're a coworker inside of an organization or you have a teammate or whether you're an entrepreneur dealing with a client, 
Um, and you have to be, all right, this is our no pass go zone. Like if we get to that point and you're still not getting it, um, this is where that term, we're going to agree to disagree. Um, and you got to know what those boundaries are, right? It's all about putting guardrails on things and not just haphazardly just going through the motions um, and just we'll get there. Well, some people won't allow you to get there because they just, not, they just, they are not getting it. And so when I say be curious, ask a question to locate where they are. Um, because I, I had this thing, Laura, and me, me and you laugh about it. When I first transitioned out, I was communicating with people at a level they actually didn't even want to operate at. I was engaging people in accordance with the crazies that I was in uniform with. And so for a lot of people, the motor and just the amount of, of energy that goes into being on all the time, people aren't used to that kind of personality. And I was always on. And so what was happening in relationships, just dealing every day, dealing with people, they were like, ah, time out, dude. Um, you're a bit much. Even, even my wife was like, you're scaring people. Um, like you're ready to die for people. And you, they just, you just met them. They're not there yet. And so that's the type of thing. And so you got to manage the expectation, locate people, um, but then engage from there. And particularly around this topic like this. Um, so what, what are some things that you're rolling out? So it's funny that, that you, uh, that you go back to that, right? Because for me, the cure, you have to start with curiosity. I totally agree. Like, what is it that is it? And it's both for yourself and for the person, right? Because, um, you know, the old marketing adage, know your audience is super important when it comes to communication. Like, as far as I'm concerned, that should be something that everybody gets taught in school. You should not be allowed like every, every single student should have to take, you know, the same presentation and recraft it for a different audience to make sure they're understanding how to sit in their audience's shoes. So yes, I totally, absolutely agree. You have to ask the question about, okay, what's, what's going on here? What, what is, what is it that, that they're seeing? What, where are they coming from? But then the other piece is what, what is it about them that is triggering me? And this one is, I think, where, you know, when it comes down to it, you can only do so much about dealing with someone else. And yes, ultimately, to your point, grace may be where you have to end up. But I think that the question that um, has been, especially because, you know, you and I can both be hotheads. You and I both like to believe that we're usually right. There's a lot of reasons. And you and I both operate sometimes at a level of intensity that overwhelms other people. So one of the things that I find for me that happens is that when I get angry, my temper scares other people. And I, just, I don't mean it's for like, for me, it's like, you know, a, a two out of 10 and they look at it and like, holy shit, she's at like 14. And I'm like, dude, you think I'm, you want to see me at 14? Cause that ain't nothing compared to what that is. And so the question I always have to ask myself is, what is it about this person that is getting under my skin? Like, and, and I think there's a couple of like big buckets that tend to surface for me, right? One, the first one is maybe that I just think 
in the most simple terms, I think they're a jerk, right? Maybe I take issue with how they treat people, how they talk to people. Maybe I think they're condescending or or kind of abusive and sort of bullies in like terms of temperament and the way they interact with people. Um, that one in some ways is kind of my favorite because I like bullying bullies. Like to me, that's just fun. And so I, I now that's not always helpful and <laughs> getting in their face is sometimes uh, counterproductive. But to me that in, in many ways, I personally, I don't take, I'm good about usually, usually not always. I'm I'm usually good about not taking that stuff personally when I when I watch that kind of behavior. Um, it does get my back up, and I do have a hard time like not reacting to it eventually. But I can I find it easier for myself to be more strategic in how I am picking my battles and waiting until I have the right opportunity and and striking in a way that can you know hopefully level things out. Otherwise, I uh, have learned when I can't do that, then we're back to, you know what, that is who that is, and I don't have to get emotionally invested in that. So for me, that there's that category. So what, how do you handle like that category? Yeah. You know what? What's coming up for me as you talk about that, just timing of conversations and, and when we have them, right? Like that's really what's coming up for me, like particularly when like you like, we have to have this conversation. And and one thing is, and I, and I love and I love having conversations with you because we're not ruminators. Like we're not a person that needs to walk away and and you know, just need to ponder a bit and uh, I just really need to process. No, I I'm I'm gonna ask. And that my curiosity says, what's coming up for me, my intuition says you were trying to be disrespectful. I'm just gonna be just being curious, were you? Like, I'm just going to ask, like, I'm not, it, it don't, it's not going to take me an hour. It's not going to take me two minutes to ask that question. But what happens a lot of times is if I think people haven't practiced conflict, right? There's, there's two modes, you either fight or you, or, or you flee. And I think what we're encountering as adults more than often, like people really didn't account for how just anxious, like their, their flight response like how strong their flight response was and what causes people to go, they ruminate. And then when they finally get up the courage to have the conversation, we really, it, but it's like, it's over for me. It's, it's processed. And so what I believe in when we start having these types of conversations, particularly um, in this charged uh, reality, we all live in today, particularly as you talking about, you know, race in the workplace. And we talk about being civil, in the workplace uh, with each other, not allowing time to pass. Like I get it, you need to process your feelings, your emotions, but hey, try communicating like in, in a human being and an adult with someone. If you really just need to know like, hey, Alora, did you mean to, like I see you were agitated, but did you, was that at me? Like, were you directing all of that crazy at me? And like, really just be curious and then help me understand like, what did I do that caused you to react in that manner, but not a month later? Like that, like, I think that's the thing, right? It's like timing is everything. No, I think that's super important, right? Because you and I are both extroverts, right? So like, well, and, and neither one of us is even remotely bashful about potentially creating awkward moments in any number of situations. So it wouldn't be a big deal. Now, my my biggest thing is usually like, I'll think of like the really perfect comeback like two hours later and that makes me crazy. So sometimes if I don't feel like I have like the best possible response in the moment, I might sit on it and wait. But at the same time, 
you know, I, I totally get like, I'm surrounded by introverts in my life. Right. And, and an introvert might need to walk away and be like, that sucked, man. I, and have to kind of work through that fine. But you know what, the next day it's you, you, but you have to come back right away. Right. Because it's like, and I, I hate to use this analogy, but it's like training a dog, right? Dog pees on the floor. You can't punish him a week later. That doesn't work. Like you have to actually make sure that, that the behavior and the reaction are coupled together enough so that they can actually start understanding. Now, having said that, if someone is simply a bully, that's not necessarily going to stop them. But the part of the, the bullying part, and the reason that actually for me in many ways, bullies are the easiest ones to deal with, is that really bullies only pick on people who don't pick back. And, you know, my dad taught me when I was really young, there is a, you know, when you're a, when you're a girl in a playground and an older boy is picking on you, I mean, I think I was seven. My dad said, you know, Judy, you walk up to him really casually and you punch him in the nose. <laughs> and my dad taught me that as a seven-year-old, right? And, and the thing was, it's kind of like the, the ultimate, you know, Marty McFly lesson at the end of, um, at the end of Back to the Future. Once you learn that a bully is only going to pick on you until you stand up for yourself, it makes it much easier. And I'm not saying that you always hit somebody in the nose because clearly that's not the way to handle most situations. But, you know, again, bullies pick on people they feel are going to put up with being picked on. So if that's what the person's MO is, sometimes they're just testing the waters and trying to see how far they can push you. And if you're just going to be a read and blow over, or if you're going to stand back up and be like, yo, I don't know what the hell crawled up your nose today, but I'm, I'm not your punching bag. And I'm definitely not going to put up with that in front of a meeting. So you had a problem with me, take it up with me offline and we'll work it out. But yeah. next time you do that, I'm going to call you out in front of everyone. I I'm not here to do that. Yeah, no, and it's funny. Um, and so one of the techniques, and again, yeah, I, and, I, and I love uh, when I see these little different memes or something like the professional clapback um, and different things like that as it pertains to communication. Uh, but one in particular uh, person book that I work with, um, as we talk about doing diversity work and all these other things, he he's implemented like the permission to say, ouch, like even for the introvert or anybody else like that, like just throw out a timely ouch, like in the moment, no other words have to be said. Just somebody said just what you said, like you go in there like, ouch. I like that. So and just drop yeah. it. Yeah. And well, you he, know what's funny? You know, it's funny. Puppies do that with each other, right? Yeah. Puppies, you ever see puppies wrestle, right? Yeah. Sometimes they'll get really rough. Yeah. And and one of the biggest problems that, that people have with puppies who were taken from the litter too soon is that they didn't learn to recognize those cues. Exactly. Puppies will wrestle, they'll bite each other, and then one of them will yelp. Yep. And the other ones learn that that Yelp is an indication that they went too far exactly. and they exactly modulating themselves. I love the ouch thing. It's yeah. just like a but, communication but Yes. And it, and, it, and I love, I love that we brought pets into this um, because literally it's the same thing. And, and again, I'm going to go down that road and say, we, I always say we train people how to treat us and it's that same thing. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. And, Completely. and if we never, and, and here's the thing about, about the diversity work, right? And I love this, particularly as it pertains to women and minorities and people of color. And they're like, oh, you have a high pain tolerance. What? What does that mean? What does that mean? Yeah, and why and why and why do you care? Like seriously, that, are you trying to push my yeah. to the maximum tolerance level? I, like, like in the fact that you had the awareness to even know that you might have been pushing the envelope, but I didn't say anything yet. And so, and so for me, 
it's now explicit yeah. and it's now complicit in your action. Like your actions are on purpose at that point. Like, well, I, well, I would have thought they would have said something by now. Excuse me, you piece of crap. Like, <laughs> like the fact that you're acknowledging your actions, like further lets me know that I was right when I thought you were a prick, but yeah. it was just confirmed. Yeah, um, you, just, you just signed off on that. Oh my gosh. So, but actually, you know what though? I like the, the, so I think the diversity piece, this leads to my second category, right? Mm -hmm. second, category. second category is when you struggle to find common ground with someone, right? Like how many people have you met where you feel like, I don't know why I'm struggling so much mm -hmm. to like figure out a connection. Like they're not egregious. They're not mean. They're not bullies. Mm -hmm. but like, I, I just, I, I, I can't figure out the common ground. And for me, this is actually um, the, the easiest place to apply grace because this is where, uh, you know, agreeing to disagree, I find is, is the least objectionable in the moment. Like I, you don't have, I don't have as much of a visceral myself personally, as much of a visceral aversion. Cause like, I don't feel necessarily the need to prove myself right because they haven't offended me or they haven't, you know, been condescending or anything like that. But like, I just can't, figure out and this is also where curiosity is sometimes like the only option you have to to find common ground um because the no common ground thing you're like dude are you from mars like i can't i don't i don't i don't know where to go like i, I can't figure out you know and again as extroverts like we we typically just assume we can have a conversation with anyone right but every once in a while one of us will like find ourselves sitting down at someone and we can't figure out what the like how to make conversation with this person you know the ones that are like especially the monosyllabic ones are like yes no sure okay whatever you know I'm like that's like an extrovert's worst nightmare when you're like trapped there like that is trying to carry on a conversation with someone who just simply won't engage and so for me that's that other that's that's the second category right it's that it's this how how do I find common ground? Like I, as someone who has a pretty easy time finding ways to talk to almost any person, if we can't find enough common ground through normal conversation, usually because they're not engaging in conversation, exactly. then yeah. I, I feel dumbfounded after a while. I'm just like, oh my God, what do I do? Yeah. And what it's funny. Yeah, no, it, the funny part for me is, um, so you'll love this. So I retook the MBTI um, kind of free assessment. And uh, so shout out to any MBTI practitioners that are out there spouting that people don't change. You met one. I've changed okay, so, twice. So, what, so, so what's, what's you, where are you at currently? So uh, Army Me, ESTJ all day, shout out to the Guardian. Um, but now after being out six years and going into deep coaching work, I am now proudly an ENFP. That's so funny. I, so I agree with you. Uh, when I first took the MBTI in college, I was an ENFP. And over the years, too many years in business, I am now such an ENTJ cliche, <laughs> it's not even funny. But, it, but so here's how I got here. And it's to answer your question. The reason why that's important is that even in this work, right, uh, where there may be, I stopped coming in with a drawing a line in the sand that what I felt was right for you too. 
And so what I come into conversation with is the idea that I'm humble enough to allow you to be you. And I think that's the humanity part of that's why me and you mean you work as it pertains to to friends in a professional relationship is because you could believe and do whatever you like, but I honor you. I honor the uniqueness of you. And I believe I get it back from you. And that's our exchange. And I, I believe that's why we have such fun banter is oh, because yeah. if I tried to come in with a line drawn that says, once Allura approaches this line, I'm going to stop her and I'm going to have a visceral reaction and I'm going to try to talk her off of that as a thing for her. That's where I believe we get into trouble, particularly when conversations are tough or these hard conversations, particularly around race and different things like that, is we bring and granted, experience plays, right? Emotions and all that stuff gets drummed up for you in these conversations. But when you get to the point of stop making it everybody else's problem and you bring it forward for the sake of your argument, you seem off, you seem agitated, you seem all those. Other, so it's about managing and being conscious, like, no, it's still there. But can I still be humble enough, professional enough, tactful enough? to have an honorable exchange. And I, would, I believe that's, that's really, for me, it's been the key is I can honor you and disagree with you all oh. at the same time. Well, and again, this, I mean, this gets back to one of our single biggest cultural problems right now, right? It was what Biden said in his, in his inauguration, right? Not every disagreement has to be a battle. And I think that's, that it's such an important skill. And I feel like we, we took it for granted for so long that we allowed it to atrophy like at a cultural level. Um, and I feel like it's a really dangerous thing to, to abdicate because we have to be able to disagree in a way that does not, you know, strips, strip our, our counterpart of humanity and integrity. And like that, that is, key. we can't live together in, in any kind of like social construct and, and, just assume that anybody who disagrees with me is, you know, that work is Satan. Like that, like that you, you can't have a harmonious community of any kind if that's, if everything gets reduced down to that kind of just reductive reasoning. And it's not, you know, and to say nothing of the fact, like, again, back to a point you brought up on multiple occasions, right? You were raised by a preacher. You are a black man who lives in the South. I'm an atheist from California living in Colorado, like on paper, there would be a bazillion ways that each of us, but it's completely true, right? Like yep. when you look at this on paper, it would be so easy for one of us to be like, okay, whatever. Like, but we don't, and we love getting the chance to work together for, you know, because both of us can totally appreciate it's, you know, it's your, your old empathy lesson, right? Walk in somebody else's shoes. Well, I can't, I can't walk in the shoes of a six foot black man who was spent his, you know, formative years in the army. <laughs> That's so not my experience at all, but that doesn't change the fact that I can still totally respect the places where you and I have different perspective on stuff and it's still got value. 100%. And I really believe that's the part of it that excites me now. Right. And yeah. I say now, because I had to get to that point where I was that leader who studied, studied, studied leadership, but it wasn't until I started to apply it and the concepts of servant leadership that say, hey, 
I could set the foundation for how we're going to communicate and say, hey, even if in the disagreement, we can still be honorable. We can still, because a value for the organization is respect. And you're going to respect everyone, even in healthy exchanges. But then there's something to this. If we're not all coming from the same place, we give ourselves a better chance at actual innovation and creativity. Yeah. Because people are bringing wholeness to the conversation, not just what they believe I want. And I believe a lot of organizations are getting shortchanged is because people are pulling the, the little wagons of work hurt into every single situation to where now it's like, um, I don't know if you've seen a movie coming to America, but it's like them going through the airport with all their royal luggage and talking about no one must know who we are. Like, I see your baggage. Like, you you got stuff going on and it's week one of you being a new hire and you're already crying in your manager's office. Like, what is well, happening? And, and I think the thing that, to that analogy, the thing I think that always surprises me is that most people who walk around with that much baggage really think they're hiding it. Like, that's oh the my gosh. always. That was the whole thing about that um, clip. <laughs> like it was exactly. Like, that's exactly uh, no. I, I, I mean, oh my god! I mean, your analogy is fantastic because really, people people who are trying to hide it or who are, especially if they have a lot of shame around the fact that they do it yeah. or they're trying, you know, they think they're they think they're playing poker. They're better than they actually are. And you watch them, and you're like, you do know you're wearing a neon sign, right? Like, ain't no hiding nothing there. But okay, so my third category, and this one, this one for me, this is my hard one. And this is where my empathy gap will eventually start to take over. And that is when you try, you give someone the benefit of the doubt, you're doing your thing, you're trying to help them out, you're trying to answer questions, you're trying to be curious, and you just end up coming to the conclusion that they're just dumb as a box of rocks. And they were brought in to do a job. You were counting on them to be able to do the job. I think the place where it gets the most frustrating for me is when they've come in and they, I've been told, hey, this person's here to help you out. And I realize, dude, I can't trust them with anything. Like they don't understand. They're not picking anything up. They're asking the same question over and over again. I think they simply don't get it, but I don't necessarily have, but, but especially in, in consulting kind of arrangements that I find myself in these days, a lot of times they're actually the employee who's supposed to take over for me. And I'm like, don't don't see this working. Uh, but I have, you know, it's not my employee. I can't let him go. I can't, you know, replace him. I can't. And I'm just standing there going, really, this person's supposed to be making my life easier. Cause I got to say right now, they're just making all of my work heavier. So this one for me is the hardest because I, I struggle uh, curiosities at first. And, you know, again, you in the beginning, you start, beginning, there's no such thing as a damn question, right? You're, you're learning, you're drinking from the fire hose, trying to get your sea legs, all of that's happening. There's no such thing as a damn question. Occasionally, I feel my inner judge, like get a little further <laughs> more questions, but I, I, I am good in the beginning yep. of making a conscious choice. Now look, just, just new to the situation, just trying to figure things out, take a deep breath, answer the question with grace, and you're good. Yeah. My problem is I struggle when that starts to run out. When I start yeah. hitting the point where I just look at this person, and I think you're never going to get it, yeah. but I can't do anything about it. I can't get rid of you. I can't change your boss's mind about you. I can't, whatever it is. So this is now the reality and I have to work with you every single day. And yeah, I'm pretty sure that it's a miracle. You can tie your own shoes. 
so here here's here's the for all for all my HR folks out there um, that actually hire people. This is why behavioral interviewing came in the came into the picture. Um, and particularly, and I love the description, right? Because a lot of times organizations say, all right, we're paying a premium with this consultant, we're gonna, we're gonna hire somebody's salary. Um, this goes to, I use, I love these uh, particular skill set questions around behavior. Um, and actually, tell me about a time, and, and literally I'll get the questions from the consultant of what do you do, how you do? And I'll ask a question in accordance with what I know they do. And I'll frame it, tell me a time that you did that lining of effort. Describe to me, start to finish, what did it look like? I don't have to be a subject matter expert. If they fumble through it, not it. And then, okay, and I'll get a whole, like I, got a, I used to have a packet of skill behavioral questions where it was, tell me about a time. And it literally what I was looking for, tell me a situation, a task, an action result. And then let's just say they made it through which that happens occasionally, they make it through. And then it go, it, I, I'm so grateful for learning the uh, situational leadership model of locating people in development level one, they're all motivated, they're ready to get going. Well, early on, it's all about identifying capacity. And so on your resume, in your interview, I recall you said you can work with this. Boom, thumbs ups and smiles, do it. Like right now, show me, right? Because I, I had once upon a time an employee interview. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bah, 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 bah. I, do, I do this, I do this, I do it. Because I hired that person. Yep, that's it. Yeah, exactly. That's and, that person is the one who got the job. So show up, right? time to do it. Yeah, well, and, and, and my thing was the first 90 days are, are crucial for me because mm -hmm. that's where I over communicate and that's where direction comes in. And that's where, like you said, no dumb question within this time frame. And I really believe in these, in these types of situations, I, I liken it to this. You're not gonna get the same privileges that my wife gets because I've known her longer. She's been here doing her thing for me. She's holding me down. I was saying, and she's putting up with you. So she and, gets a certain amount of credit right? just on that front alone. Totally. Totally different bag where somebody else is coming into this relationship, you're not being afforded those same privileges. And I believe a lot of times organizations, they extend people those types of privileges without guardrails. And so what happens is you're not managing the expectation of somebody correctly. So if you're not treating them like a development level one and you're putting, you're putting these guardrails on them until they actually grow their capacity, I believe you make everybody frustrated in this process, particularly if you are the person that they're supposed to replace. You're like, yo, I'm a supposed, and, I, and in our movies call it right seat, left seat ride, right? So new guy comes in, he's in he's in the passenger seat while, while old guys driving around, telling, showing them the ropes. And, and then, then, okay, while the old guy's still there, they switch seats, right? He's like, it's like driver's ed. And he was like, all right, drive a little bit get some evaluation, get some feedback from your peer, and then they're off to the races. Well, I believe organizations should be the same way. It shouldn't be there was a vacancy or the contractor is offboarding in two weeks and now we bring somebody in. That's unrealistic because if, if you, somebody, particularly somebody at a skill set level like you, if you literally are not hiring somebody that could literally be you today, then 
you are setting yourselves up to fail. And a lot of times I believe organizations aren't asking the right types of questions. And then those of us who are like us, we bear the burden and the weight of actually being honest and giving feedback with people that now sounds like criticism. And when the moment you go there, when somebody's trying to learn a job, their, their emotions are already high, it becomes, a, it becomes a really bad situation really, really fast. Um, so I, I think just honoring, putting guardrails on the thing early as you can, or be able to check in, right? Have those check-in measures, um, particularly with you, right? As like, I need to talk to Laura. Laura, weekly, end of the week, we're on top. And you're gonna give me the real deal, how they're doing. And, and just don't say, they suck. Break it down for me. What what are they sucking at? What have you given them? How are they fumbling in it? And then we can go from there. So so we can part ways amicably. <laughs> what how did it awesome. costed me too much money? <laughs> so, so it's funny. So it's interesting. As a, something keeps coming up for me as you were as you were describing the guardrail model, right? Which I I philosophically agree with. But something funny for me was when I first started managing, I wasn't as conscientious about like a process there, right? Like you, you absolutely, what you're talking about is very deliberate and some people do do it naturally, but most people I don't think do. Most people, especially if you like, you know, as a boss, you're hiring somebody because you're drowning, like they walk in the door and you're like, ah, oh, just take this, go. Um, and so, but what's funny because what I realized when you're talking is I actually have two different modes and it very much depends on my role and the and the new hire right so so as a boss i am actually a very big fan of the push them into the deep end of the pool and see if they swim because more often than not i'm in situations as as someone running who's historically run consulting practices and you know technology environments where you know what they're always going to find themselves in over their head what i actually care about is how they handle themselves when they don't know what the hell's going on and that is such a critical part of being a in, in a consultative position or trying to solve technical complicated you know, problems because, and we might try to tackle something that nobody's ever even thought of before and or the solution wasn't originally designed to be able to handle, in which case, I don't know, see how you handle the pressure. Let's go, I just wanna watch. So it's funny then you mentioned that because I hadn't really thought about it because in those settings, I, I very I have I have actually cultivated a process now. In in the early part of my career, I did it by accident. I was like, oh shit, I'm overwhelmed. Take it, go. And then later, I'd be like, oh man, why is my washout rate so high? It's like, well, it's because I didn't do a good enough job interviewing to make sure that I was picking people and hiring people who actually like to be thrown into the deep end of the pool, right? That's actually my preference. I don't want to go start a job and have someone have guardrails. No, screw it. You brought me in to do a job. Get out of my way and let me do the damn job. And I want, and, and so as a boss, that's who I like to hire. The challenge I run into is when, again, as a consultant, I'm in another organization, someone else is making the ultimate hiring decision. And more often than not, they let me weigh in or that, you know, whatever, but they are making the ultimate decision. They own responsibility for it. They're the ones, and then they have the HR process to deal with if they want to let someone go, which tends to scare the crap out of all of them. So they try to avoid it at all costs. In that situation, I think the guardrails are super important, right? So we've got, they're, they're on board. Like I'm, 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 uh, onboarding actually a woman who did used to work for me and I know I could throw her into the deep end of the pool if I wanted to, but I'm onboarding her into a project that I'm leaving. 
and we meet first thing in the morning. This is these are the meetings for the day. This is the background you need for each of these conversations. These are the players involved. End of day, what questions do you have? And she had all day. She just, you know, logs her questions. We get to the end of the day. But I don't teach her how to do the job. I'm just teaching her the context that she needs because I know I'm throwing her into the deep end of the pool. But again, like I until you were talking, I didn't actually specifically think of it in that way. There is a different model and there are different reasons I use one versus the other within the right context. The challenge, of course, is now the good thing. And the thing I like about the throwing them in the deep end of the pool model is that if somebody can't hack it, they get out themselves. They, they actually are like, holy shit, she's crazy. She just gave me, you know, all this stuff. Like, how does she expect me to do this on day two? Right. Somebody who has that reaction. Thank you. I'll take it back. There's the door. Thank you for playing. Bye. No problem. They opt out, which I do have to say is the easier option whenever possible. The other scenario, this is where it's much harder, right? Where, okay, we're past the window where there's no such thing as dumb questions. Now being asked the same question for the sixth time has become dumb. Yep. And the fact that you're still asking, and I am now, you know, T minus 20 hours before I'm out the door for good, that's a bad sign and we got a problem here. And so again, if you've got a light at the end of the tunnel, then no problem. But if this is, you know, someone that your boss hired, sacred cows are my favorite, right? How many yep. times have you worked with, uh, a spouse, a, a boss's spouse or a boss's sibling or a boss's old friend or somebody that the boss considers sacred. And you look at them and think, oh my God, really? And that for me, that of all of the scenarios we've discussed, that's the hard, that's the hardest one. Well, it's funny that that you that you say that one. So uh, a similar situation with that type of thing, that type of um, loyalty or whatever. And it's funny, it's funny how that you know again comes up for me. Birds of feather flock together, kind of thing, right? And I always tell people, if you keep around someone who is not actually adding value to the organization, that tells me all I need to know about you. And you're actually putting on to me, you're actually a better actor than I thought. If you're still able to function, but you're still allowing this person the opportunity to continue doing what they're doing within the organization. And I'm, and I'm always curious, right? I'm, I'm, this is when I turn into the conspiracy theorist person. When, when I see people like that uh, still not being fired or, or getting what, what they've earned as it pertains to um, performance and different things like that. And I always ask my question, I'm like, they must know where the bodies are. That, person's, that person knows where the bodies are. And I said, that's, that's why they keep them around. They wanna keep them close and they allow that person to just bow out gracefully whenever they want to. And I really believe they know where the bodies are. And, so, and so, hilariously, so in, in, in my experience, I've seen this happen more where a spouse is actually the person who has yep. what feels like a makeshift, like a make work job, or they're, they are the bane of everyone else's existence. So everyone <laughs> goes around them. Yeah. So instead of the bodies, there, there, there are yeah. other, there are oh. other snide comments that come up about why, about, about this, that particular spouse's other talents and why they're actually there. there but go. either way, it's still, to me, this is, this is always the hardest one. And this is actually, I think the one that um, we'll, we'll wrap on because, okay. because 
we got, we got to close things down for tonight. But I think, you know, when it comes down to it, I think, you know, those are three big categories. And I think, yeah. you know, I think the vast majority of difficult coworker situations can, can kind of fall into one, one permutation of those, of those three for the most part. Um, but yes, I think it's, I think it's not uncommon that different people have harder times with, with one or the other, right? And I think, again, back to what I was saying before, understanding why it's triggering you and which one is your trigger, which thing just makes you the craziest is, I think, an important first step because all of, all of the downstream results are much more manageable if you can recognize your own triggers enough to stop yourself in the moment from doing or saying something regrettable. I, you know, with the dumbest box of rocks problem, I take a lot of deep breaths. I, I get up from my computer before I respond to emails a lot. There's a lot of stuff that I know to do and it doesn't always keep me from, you know, popping back or being sort of much more judgmental in my responses than I intend to be. But, uh, you know, again, if I didn't vote before I understood that that was really my trigger, I wasn't even, I couldn't even do that reliably, right? So that's, I think that to me, to me has been a, an important lesson that I wish the 24 year old version of me had understood a little better. Yeah, I just, what always comes up for me when dealing with people like that, the the uh, Bad Boys uh, 2 movie, when he's woo-sah, woo-sah, just in the moment, like really in that person's face, they see me rubbing on my earlobes. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. It's kind of like the ouch thing, right? It's, yep. it, it's, it's the cue that if, if, if they're paying attention, should actually tell them a great deal. Exactly. Well, this was a good one. All righty, pal. Have a wonderful evening and I will talk to you next week. All right. Have a great one. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me and Lawrence in this week's episode of Grow or Die. Join us next week when we'll take on our next topic. In the meantime, have a fantastic week.